Well, good morning to you. I believe we're gathering in here. We're really, really thankful you're here today. Um, this, this is our first annual Pastor Appreciation Chapel. And uh, today we're so honored to have pastors from across uh, the front range and maybe further out or further away. But we're so thankful that you're here today and, and we want to honor you. Uh, like for all of the pastors, associate pastors, chaplains, would you please stand so that we can acknowledge you this morning and thank you for being here. We hope that this will, will be the start of a, of a rich tradition here at Nazarene Bible College as, as we uh, try to show you how much we appreciate all that you do each and every week as our pastors and associate pastors and leaders and chaplains. Um, you know, I had a, last Saturday I was uh, uh, in the emergency room and um, I, um, I looked up and I saw Chaplain Dr. Tom Umble standing at the desk. And Dr. Umble came in uh, to the room that I was in and uh, prayed for Cheryl and myself. And uh, it just, it just, it really truly moved us both. And we know that you give of yourself like that all of you in various places at various times throughout the year and so today we want to acknowledge you and thank you and following the chapel service today we'll be having a luncheon in your honor with our faculty today so we hope that you can stay around for that our special uh, guest today is dr. David Busick and his wife Christy Christy would you please stand and will you welcome her Dr. Busick was elected the ninth president of Nazarene Theological Seminary on August 31, 2011. Prior to that, he had been a very successful pastor, I think pastoring three churches, one in California, a central church in Lenexa, Kansas, and then the historic Bethany First Church, where his uh, mastery of preaching in the pulpit uh, became really, uh, I don't want to say legendary because he wasn't there that long, but well respected across the Church of the Nazarene because most of us know that Bethany First Church is one of the great and historic pulpits in the Church of the Nazarene. He's also been an author. He's, uh, he's been used of God in many different ways to help the church, uh, noted for his preaching. And uh, we're so thankful that God has raised him up at the seminary for such a time as this to lead our, our, our 
our church and the development of those who will go out and preach the gospel. Can't think of a better man to be leading the seminary than David Busick. And uh, David and Christy have three children. Megan, who is married to Joel. Benjamin, who is married to Alicia. And Madison, who is still available. Uh, is that, would that be correct? And I got to tell you that I've, I've just come to love David and Christy Busick. Uh, I, I had great respect for him when he was at Bethany First. I was a DS in, in uh, Tulsa on the Northeast District when he was, uh, came to Bethany First. And, and he has such a heart for people. Uh, started a, a special ministry in Swaziland helping with the HIV and AIDS. And, and he just has a, such a compassionate heart. And uh, I've always seen that in David. And when uh, he agreed to come and, and speak this morning and tonight in chapel, I was just delighted that he could do that. And then he'll be back in the spring to speak at commencement this year. So this is a great year for us having Dr. Busick. So without further ado, I think that we'll begin our worship together, and then after we finish our worship, we'll hear from Dr. Busick, and I know that you'll want to welcome him when he comes to the pulpit. God bless you. Amen. Let us all stand as we worship. We will praise our God. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, be glory forever. Amen. I will praise him. Amen. Good morning, my friends. Glad to see you today, and I greet you in the name of the lovely one who is worthy to be praised that we've been singing about, Jesus Christ, and what an honor it is for Christy and I to be with you back on uh, our sister campus here at NBC. Uh, maybe, if not the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful campuses we have. Uh, and I was here about 12 years ago. It was in 2000. I did a preaching seminar and a, and a revival here at the college. Yeah, but I've noticed the trees have grown a little bit, and the view of the mountains are not quite as vivid as they were then which is good because when I was preaching before, nobody watched me. They just stared out the window. Uh, but we are really, really delighted to be here. And, and really, I should say that uh, NBC is more than a sister school to NTS, but you are a partner school because we work in tandem and uh, we work together to prepare leaders and ministers for the church. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here with uh, Dr. Harold and Cheryl Graves. You know, they've been our friends for a long time, but uh, they've become very close friends over the last year. And Harold has uh, brought me under his wing and helped coach me on some things and given me some guidance. And, and as I've been learning the ropes of what it means to be a president, but we've had great times together. And as you can see, I want to be like Harold when I grow up because I noticed he came walking out with this jacket, so I immediately went down and put my jacket on. And apparently, uh, Alan did the same thing. So, 
but we, we dearly love Harold and Cheryl. I know you do as well. And um, Harold did some things this summer that made my respect for him go up even more. And that is, he said to me, I know you're just getting started, but, and I know that you're not going to be able to be at all of our assemblies, but I'm going to be at quite a few. And anytime I'm there, he said, I'd like to be able to speak on behalf of NTS in your absence. And so every assembly that Harold was at, I should call him Dr. Harold, but um, he brought literature from NTS, he put it on his stand, uh, he, he gave his NBC presentation, and every time he talked about NTS, and I can't tell you what that meant. I've told that everywhere I've been, and we tried to reciprocate that so that when you were not there, we always talk about NBC as well and are thankful for that partnership. Um, it's good to also be here with someone I did not expect to see, and that is uh, my pastor from, what, from about the age of 11 to about the age of 13 or 14, and that's Pastor Bob and Evelyn Carpenter, who are my pastors in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and um, they drove 200 miles to be here, and I don't think I've seen them until I was about since I was 13 or 14. Um, it's so good to see them. And, and he said to me, I bet you didn't think when you were at Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, that you would be the president of the seminary one day. And I said to him, I bet you didn't think that either. Um, it's come as quite a surprise to a lot of us, actually. But it is really, really good to see you and... Um, the blessing that you were to our family during those years. Thank you for being here, Pastor. And to all of you as pastors, uh, what a joy to see you. I, there's, there's honestly no group I'd rather be with than fellow pastors. I still consider myself, Pastor Gene, a pastor. And um, to be able to be with you and to talk about ministry and, and being on the front lines, uh, my role has changed, but I still consider myself to be a pastor and, and to be with colleagues and people that I admire, you who are on the front lines of ministry. Thank you for taking the time to be here. I hope this will be an enriching day for you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to speak this morning from this passage, and I'm, I'm going to speak tonight with, our, with all of our student body uh, in tandem with this, but uh, on a little different focus. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and one of the things that I do when we read from the Word of God is to invite people to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious God, we have sung today about your praise, your honor, and your glory. They seem like feeble words in response to what you have done and for who you are. And yet we know that we are your children, and we have confidence that we can enter into the throne room of grace and speak words like Abba and Father and know that you have our very best in mind. I thank you today for this school, for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of folks who are pastoring and ministering as chaplains and missionaries and evangelists because of the influence of Nazarene Bible College. Thank you, God, for what you have done and for what you are doing through this place. And thank you for this group of pastors who have gathered here and faculty and staff. I pray that this would be a, a, a day of enriching and encouragement for, for them. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's interesting to me that Paul begins all of his correspondence, all of his letters with the same basic phrase, grace and peace. He says it over and over, grace and peace, grace and peace. Listen to Romans chapter 1. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins Ephesians that way, and Galatians that way, and Colossians and Thessalonians that way, and Titus and Timothy and Philemon with grace and peace, grace and peace. With every recorded document that we have of the Apostle Paul, he says, grace and peace to you. Now, he, he gives encouragement, he gives rebuke, he gives correction, he gives theological guidance. Those are, those are all a part of his letters to the churches, but he always starts with grace and peace. Now, either Paul was in a serious rut, or he knew exactly what he was doing. It's important for you to know that, that this was not the customary greeting of the day. This was not something that was done often. Uh, the, the customary greeting was the word kyrene, which simply meant hello, or greetings, or what's up. That's what kyrene meant. Sometimes it meant rejoice, but it was the customary greeting of the day. But Paul did not do it that way. Paul began with charis, not kyrene, and charis was the word grace. And, and I think it would have been interesting to know 
what the people were thinking as they heard him say something that was very close to what they were used to hearing, but enough different that they would have stopped and said, it's interesting how these Christians greet each other. They greet each other with a blessing. A blessing. Now, the idea of greeting each other with a blessing was not new to the Apostle Paul. It obviously was something that is done throughout Scripture. Uh, the words, for example, the Lord bless and keep you, those are greetings from Scripture that are also a blessing. But Paul decided, I don't want to just greet somebody. I don't want to just say hello and find out how they're doing at home. I want to greet them with a blessing. I want to greet them with grace and peace. Let's talk for a minute about what he meant when he said grace to you. Now we are all here trained in theology and in religion and we are professional pastors, but let's remind ourselves of a concept that literally has changed the world. The concept of grace is unlike any other world religion. All other world religions tell us that the way that you find God is you pursue God. You come to God. You, you climb the ladder to God. And when you climb a few steps, God will respond to you. In fact, it says in the Quran, if you take two steps toward Allah, Allah will take one step toward you. Actually, I'm sorry, it's the other way around. You take one step toward Allah, Allah will take two steps toward you. As if to say that was grace, but who's making the first move? Christianity is the only religion in the world that will tell you that God is the one who comes to us first. Grace means gift. Grace is undeserved favor. It is unmerited. It, it, it cannot be earned. It is all of God's activity to us in Jesus Christ. And and it's the sum total of the way God responds to us in an undeserved fashion. Grace literally means there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than he does right now. I want you to think about that. There's, there's no amount of better religion you can have. There's no greater faith you can have or more activity on God's behalf that will cause him to say, I love you now more today than I did yesterday. God's love is unchanging. His, his gift of mercy is, is unchanging. Grace means there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less than he does right now. Question. What would it mean to say to another person, may God treat you better than you deserve? Paul had another part of the phrase, though. It was the phrase peace. And the word there is irene, which, which meant peace, but it's connected to the Hebrew word shalom, which is more than just the absence of conflict. It is it is wholeness. It is, it is all the parts working together in, in perfect harmony. It's, it's the restoration of God's creation in you. It's, 
it's that it's not just getting along with each other, but but it's it's God's peace reigning. It's it's the new creation at work among God's people, and uh, Irene, of course, uh, meant peace uh, that would be in the future, but only one time is Irene mentioned in Scripture as a future event. Every other time, it's saying, peace to you right here, right now, in this moment. God's peace to you. God's shalom to you. God's perfect wholeness and harmony in your life today, now. Question. What would it mean to say to another person, May God take the broken pieces of your life and put them back together again. Grace and peace to you. May God treat you better than you deserve. And may he take the broken pieces of your life and put them back into exactly the perfect order he wants. Grace and peace. Now, I, I think it's important to remember the context of this passage. Paul was writing these words we all know and believe from a Roman prison. Roman prisons were very different than prisons today. Now, I watch some of the reality shows about people in prison. I don't know why. It's kind of like a car wreck. You just, you, don't, you know you're not supposed to watch, but you kind of can't help watching. And it's violent, and it's angry, and it's frightening, and... It's oppressive, but I want to tell you something. Roman prisons were worse. Roman prisons very often were holes in the ground. Uh, the condition of Paul in this moment, first of all, says that he was probably in shackles. Paul often uses the phrase that I am in chains for the gospel. I don't think that was just metaphorical. I think that was part of the way that you lived in order to keep you from maybe hurting other prisoners or whatever, you would just be in chains and holes in the ground. Most likely, Paul was being deprived of food. Roman prisons didn't feed you. The only way that you had uh, food is if you had friends that cared about you and either brought money so you could buy food or brought you food. And that's the reason why the whole basis of the letter of Philippians is a thank you note from Paul because there's a man in Philippi who made the trek to bring him money for food so he could survive. If you didn't have friends, you died in short order in Roman prisons. He's being deprived of food. My guess is he's probably sick. Uh, disease was rampant in places like that where there was no plumbing, there was you no know, sewer system. Uh, he's being intimidated threatened with violence at some point. Paul knows that he's going to go to trial and possibly even be executed as an enemy of the state. The question is, why was he in prison? Had he hurt somebody? Had he robbed a bank? Had he cheated on his taxes? Answer, none of these. Paul was there because he kept saying three words. And he wouldn't stop saying three words. He said it over and over and over, and it got him thrown in prison. Do you want to know what the three words were? Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. Rome was the greatest superpower in the world, the most powerful army, maybe the most dominant and oppressive army in the history of the world. And, and they had a saying in that day, it was called Caesar is Lord. And the way they kept the peace was Pax Romana, which meant the Roman peace. It was the euangelium, which is the good news of Rome, the gospel of Rome. And the way that they kept the peace was through force. They would beat you into submission until you couldn't fight back. And then they would say, oh, look how peaceful our country is. It, was, it, it had to do with harmony through power. And that's basically all they wanted Paul to confess. They just wanted to hear him say, Caesar is Lord. And he could be free. He wouldn't even have to mean it. He could say it and not really mean it. He could say it with his fingers crossed behind his back. He could say it winking. They just said, just, just say Caesar is Lord. But Paul wouldn't stop saying Jesus is Lord. And he wouldn't stop preaching and teaching that the good news wasn't Rome. And that the Savior wasn't Caesar. But he changed the whole dynamic. And he says, you want to know what the euangelium is? You want to know what the good news is? The good news is Jesus is Lord. And they said, for that, that will be insurrection. That will be the death penalty. Did you know in 2009, there were 47 Nazarene pastors who were martyred for their faith? It doesn't seem possible. My guess is it didn't happen in the United States, but 47 pastors stood in front of an executioner who, who cut their heads off because they wouldn't quit saying Jesus is Lord. In that day, you didn't get the death sentence and then go sit on death row for 20 years. No, when you were found guilty of insurrection, the judge said guilty and you were immediately taken out to the executioner's platform where they would either cut off your head or they would crucify you. And eventually, biblical scholars believe that Paul died in Rome in just that way. I tell you that because it was under those circumstances and in that environment that it's stunning to me that Paul would say words like this, grace and peace to you. May God treat you better than you deserve. God's gift to you, God's perfect harmony to you, all good gifts from God be yours. I don't know about you, but I, I need grace and peace. I need people to speak grace and peace to me. I, I need to experience grace and peace. I, I, I need the brothers and sisters of the body of Christ to continually remind me that I live life as a gift. That every breath I breathe, that that every step I take, it sounds a little bit like a pop song, but it's, it's all about God's grace and peace in my life. I need people to offer it to me. 
It's a couple of years ago, and I got up like I normally do, and I ran for a little bit, and went to church while it was still dark, and I was sitting in my office about 9.30 in the morning, and like a bolt of lightning, it hit me. Today is my son's 16th birthday, and I forgot to tell him happy birthday this morning. I said, you're, you're a terrible dad. And I, just, I thought, oh my goodness, I am not going to let my son go the rest of this day and think that his dad forgot his birthday. And I wasn't going to text him, sorry son, you know, I forgot your birthday today. I said, I'm going to drive over to his school and I'm going to tell him face to face. So I got in my car, I drove the block and a half over to his school. <laughs> and I went into the principal's office, I said, I got to talk to Ben. So they made, a, they made a call, you know, Ben Busick, come to the principal's office, please. It was right about break time, and Ben was probably about a junior in high school back then. And, and here he came, and just as he was coming, the bell rang. And so all the students were gathered around and walked up to him. All the kids from our church, there was like 15 or 20 boys. Hey, Pastor D, how you doing? And they said, well, I just needed to say something to Ben. And I said... Son, and he had this grin on his face, like he knew I was, why I was there. I said, I cannot believe I forgot that this was your birthday. I am so sorry. I feel horrible. And I just, I didn't want you to go through the whole day and think that I'd forgotten you. And my son very graciously said, Dad, I know you love me. You're a great dad, and I love you too. And I, I said, well, thank you. And, and I thought, you know what, I'd like more than anything... Right now, is to just give him a big hug. But I'm not going to embarrass him in front of all of his friends. And so I just, well, all right then, you know, fist bump. And Ben went, no. He reached out, 16-year-old boy, in front of all of his friends. And he walked up to me, and he gave me one of the biggest, tightest bear hugs. And it wasn't one of those kind of like, you know, you know, you're the man type hug. It was like a 20-second hug. And he just held on to me. And I, I, I kind of thought, you know, I, I can't start crying right here in the middle of everybody or it's really going to embarrass him. But as my son was hanging on to me in that moment, you know what I, well, you know what I thought? Oh, grace and peace. Christy and I were having dinner one night with some friends, nice restaurant, and my phone rang, and I looked down, and it was from our youngest daughter, Madison, and I thought, well, I better take this call and make sure everything's okay, so I said, hey, Maddie, what's up? And she said, hey, Dad, is there supposed to be water coming through the lights of our kitchen? I said, well, let me check. Is there supposed to be water? And they, no. It's not raining out, so right? No, no rain. So, okay, I'll be right home. So we leave the restaurant and we get home and, and I'm telling you, there had been an upstairs toilet running for about 10 or 12 hours. It had, it had just flooded our upstairs, had soaked through the carpet and the drywall and the wood and literally was pouring by the bucketfuls through our kitchen overhead lights. It was an absolute mess. Dirty toilet water everywhere. And so I went and I changed my clothes. Christy and I thought, this is, this is going to take us all night long. And we get down on our hands and knees, buckets, mops, and 
Um, all of a sudden, my doorbell rang. I thought, oh, good grief. This is terrible timing. Now I've got to go put my suit back on. Uh, now. <laughs> um, I went to the door, and there was Lewis and Rita. And they were standing there in their grubby clothes. And they said, hey, we heard you guys had a problem. We just came by to see if we could help. I said, well, I don't think you want to get into this mess. They said, no, we're here to help. And I said, well, come on in. And so there's Christy and I and Lewis and Rita and our kids were all down in dirty toilet water all over trying to mop it up and clean it up. And about five minutes later, my doorbell rang again. I went to the doorbell. There's Phil Lighthill. Phil Lighthill's got, he's a carpet layer and he's got all his materials with him. He said, I heard you had a problem, Pastor. Uh, and I'm here to help you with the carpet. And I said, well, come on in. It's a party. So they came, he came in, and he starts ripping up carpet. And, and I kid you not, 10 minutes later, our doorbell rang again. There's Jim, and Jim's standing there with about four fans. I heard you had a problem here, Pastor. We're here to help. And I well, come on in. And, and he's putting fans up. The doorbell rang again. Tim and Darlene, we heard you had a problem. They got their buckets and their mops. And before you knew it, we had about 25 people on their hands and knees in my dirty toilet water. And I just stopped. And I looked around, and I started laughing. Right in the middle of, it was eventually a $25,000 fix. But I started laughing, and I had an experience in that moment. And you know what the experience was? Grace and peace. Look around. It's probably been about a year ago now, I was getting on an airplane. Dr. Graves and I spend a lot of time on airplanes. And you have a kind of a certain pattern and routine on a plane. And one is you want to get on first so you can get your seat that you want. And then you know you don't look up and make eye contact until you see a person that you might actually want to sit by you. And we were about five minutes from closing the doors. It was a packed plane. And, and all of a sudden, a young mother came bursting onto the plane. She had a screaming baby, about six months old in one hand, and she had a two-year-old terrorist in the other hand. <laughs> and he was pulling back and forth. She had diaper bags, and she, she looked exhausted. She looked like she hadn't slept in days. And, and she was trying to hold on to him and get the diaper bag and this screaming baby. And I mean, everybody on that plane looked at her like she had just unleashed the bubonic plague. And everybody's kind of like that scene in Forrest Gump, like, you know, seat taken, seat taken. And she's looking around like, help. I'm ashamed to say I didn't help. But I heard a voice behind me about three seats behind me, and it was a middle-aged woman with a kind face. And she stood up right in the middle of the plane, and she said, sweetheart, it looks like you've got your hands full. Could I take your baby for a minute while you get settled? And I wish you could have seen the look of relief on her face. Gary, I wish you could have seen the look of relief on every passenger on that plane's face. But I sat there and it suddenly hit me. 
This is grace and peace. This is grace and peace. Christy and I don't get to be with our kids nearly as often as we used to because they're all grown now. Our youngest is 19 and in college. And, and so when we can get everybody around the table for a dinner, it's very, very special. And it was, it was a few months ago now, and we were all having dinner, and we started telling family stories. And I don't know what happened, but we all got tickled. You know what I mean when I say tickled? It just, we just started laughing, and we couldn't stop laughing. And, and the more we talked, the more we laughed, and there was a lot of joy around the table. And one of the things you need to know about Christy is she's an absolute lady in every way, but don't tell her something funny when she has food in her mouth. <laughs> and I don't know if she'd just taken a drink, or I think she had just taken a drink, and, some, and one of my kids said something, and Christy just, <clears throat> just sprayed the table. And, and, and all of a sudden, one of my daughters was cleaning off her face, and, and, and then my other daughter, who's just like her mother, she spit something out of her mouth, and we looked around, and now tears were streaming down our face. We were laughing hysterically. My son, when he laughs hard, he starts squeaking. And my son was squeaking. And right in the middle of the laughter and the food spread out over the table and the water on my daughter's face, I just had a moment. And I said, thank you, God. For this gift, even at this table, there is grace and peace. We were in seminary, and um, it was a Sunday night service, and we were listening to people testify. You know, the Sunday night testimony services, and Christy and I were sitting there and listening to people talk about God's work in their life. And, and all of a sudden, one of the women in our church stood up. Her name was Evelyn. And she said, I just want to share some good news. She said, you know, we've had, I've had cancer. and We've been diagnosed with this severe cancer. And, and I've been undergoing these treatments. And I want you to know, we, I just went to the doctor this week. And he gave me the news. You are cancer-free. She said, I don't have cancer. God is faithful. And all of a sudden, the whole congregation broke out in cheering. And we thought, isn't that great? And then Doris stood up. When Doris stood up, she said, I'm celebrating what God's doing in Evelyn's life. And she said, you know, I have cancer too. And I went to the doctor this week. And the doctor told me my cancer is spread and it looks like it's terminal. But she said, I want you to know, I have cancer, but God is still faithful. And the whole congregation cheered again, and I thought, grace and peace, Ed. What if every breath we took began to feel like a gift? 
What if, what if we just breathed in grace and peace? What, what if every time we saw a beautiful sunset, or every time we sat on the porch while it was raining, we just said grace and peace? What if we started looking at people with eyes of grace and peace? What if we started looking at enemies with grace and peace? What if we started giving ourselves some grace and some peace? What if, what if every time we felt our past rising up its ugly head that we said, no, no, I live now in grace and peace? Or what if every time we felt anger rising up in us and we felt our face turning red and we wanted to retaliate, what if we just said, no, I'm about grace and peace now? What if every time we walked into a board meeting where we knew there might be some tension, that we walked in and we declared it to be a place of God's grace and peace? What, what if every time somebody saw confusion or pain, you declared grace and peace for that person? What if whenever fear began to creep into your mind about what's going to happen or what your future held, that, that you just allowed God's grace and peace to fill you again. There's no telling what God might do through people who actually live with grace and peace. May God treat you better than you deserve, and may he take the broken pieces of your life and put them back together again. Wouldn't you like to hear those words? I wonder how long it's been since some of you have experienced that grace and peace. I wonder how long it's been since some of our faculty and staff have heard those words spoken. I gotta tell you something, it's very different being in higher education than it is pastoring. Pastors get a lot of blame, but they get a lot of accolades, too. There's not a lot of accolades for teachers and administrators. In fact, if you get a compliment from a faculty member, it's two hands in the air. You know, it's, uh, it's just not the kind of environment where that happens. But what if, what if among our faculty we begin to express words of grace and peace? There's some pastors here who get a lot of um, affirmation. You know, 90% of your people are loving and accepting and embracing, and they treat you like royalty. But for some reason, the 10% seem to speak a lot louder and a lot more frequently, and we kind of live with the 10%. And there might be some pastors here that it's been a long time since you've had somebody say more than, how are you, pastor? I need this pastor. Or how come this is going on, pastor? But it's been a long time since they've actually had somebody say to them, grace and peace to you, pastor.
I don't know how well you know each other in this room uh, to speak words of grace and peace, more than just shaking hands and say, bless you, brother, but to actually say words of encouragement and building up each other. Uh, I, I'd like to see us do that today. And I'd like, us to, I'd like us to spend a few minutes doing that. I, I'd like for you to go to five or ten people and do more than shake their hand, but to actually look them in the eyes and speak the gift of God's grace and peace to them. You may not know that person, but you can encourage them. If you do know them, it would be an amazing gift to say some things to them about what they mean to you. It's called being the body of Christ. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to uh, ask John if he'd come back and just kind of play for us some music. And we're, we're going to take some time to offer grace and peace to each other and let you mill around a little bit. And uh, when it seems to be a good time to call that quits, I'll come back up and we'll, we'll pray a prayer of benediction. But let's stand together. God, you have spoken words of grace and peace to us. More than that, your grace is all the expression of the good gifts that you have given to us in Jesus and your peace is what we experience as a result of your grace. So grace and peace always go together. Thank you that Paul changed these words. Thank you that he was not content to just go around and say, how are you, brother? How's your day been, sister? But instead decided that everything he said would be words of blessing. That we, he would never start a conversation without blessing that other person in Christ. And today, Lord, would you come among us as we offer words of grace and peace to brothers and sisters, as we encourage each other? Would, would the Holy Spirit be present among us? For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take some time, mill around, offer grace and peace to each other.